Hello, and welcome to the Star Family Wisdom Podcast. I'm Jenna Layden, the founder of Star Family Wisdom and a former global vice president for Whole Foods Market. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's episode is focused on a book by Dolores Cannon, The Custodians Beyond ET Abduction. And I'll be reviewing this book and talking about some of my favorite parts of this book. And hopefully through this conversation today, you'll have a much better understanding about who the ETs are who have been in contact with us and how this fits within our greater human story. Star Family Wisdom is a paradigm-shifting podcast, community, and modern-day mystery school for your spiritual and cosmic evolution. We explore our untold human origin story, lost knowledge from the stars, real-life supernatural experience, and spiritual wisdom that empowers you to transform your life for the better and prepare for open contact. <laughs> so don't forget to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or on the podcast apps. Leave a comment and uh, let us know what's on your mind. It's been really fun connecting with all of you. So Dolores Cannon is the author of many books about past life regression and ET abduction case studies and cases of life in between death and birth. Dolores was a pioneer accessing incredibly advanced metaphysical and mystical information about how our universe works. She even wrote a whole series of books called the Convoluted Universe series, which explains detailed accounts of other beings living on other planets, lives as elementals, and complex information about the mechanics of existence. And we're going to do an episode on that series as well. So stay tuned for some more uh mind-busting and paradigm-busting information from the Convoluted Universe series. And Dolores found this information by accident, though. She started her hypnotherapy practice as a quote-unquote regular hypnotherapist, helping people with weight loss and quitting smoking, uh, which is what most people were interested in back in, you know, the 70s or 60s when hypnotherapy was really, you know, starting to hit the scene as a therapeutic technique. And like many other hypnotherapists, her clients started accessing past life memories when they were deep in hypnosis. This caught a number of other therapists off guard and it led to them exploring these cases and this type of work as their life's work. And that's exactly what happened to Dolores. She found herself in this position where she became a detective and this kind of explorer of consciousness. And she leaned in instead of being afraid when some of these more strange and esoteric scenarios started to present themselves in her regression cases, she just dove right in and asked more questions, which I love. I think that's, I think that's important that we're open-minded and we're not afraid to ask questions and we're not afraid to change our mind when we're presented with new information. And decades later, her body of work and her case studies really reveal the higher intelligence that we can access. And that higher intelligence can be really foundational, you know, for anyone who is beginning their spiritual and cosmic journey to understand that we can access information beyond ourselves right in the here and now. 
So to quickly summarize before we get into some examples from the book, Dolores found through many of her hypnotic regression cases that a lot of souls were starting to tell similar stories about their ET contact cases and why those encounters had been occurring and even why they were coming to earth why they had incarnated here in a physical body and, and how that related to their mission in this life. And so Dora, Dolores' work you know, started as typical regression experiences and, and in some cases helping people access past life memories for healing. But then she started accessing these strange and unique multidimensional and metaphysical uh, types of information through her clients. And she began exploring the world of ET contact and abductions. And, you know, while a little scary and disconcerting at first, Cannon found that there was a lot more going on beyond the typical abduction cases, you know, at first glance or at first time of accessing those memories, those cases can be traumatic and startling, but then by diving deeper and asking more questions and moving further into why these experiences were happening, more and more information got uncovered. So as humanity has been evolving, and as our positioning within the galaxy on Earth is changing, we're actually being exposed to different energies from the center of the galaxy, from the universe, which is helping our consciousness change and expand. And it's helping us access more information kind of beyond the veil or beyond our current dimension. And so humans are having a more multidimensional experience of reality. And that's one of our passions here is helping everyone embrace that multidimensional reality without fear because it can be a little scary at first. I experienced that for sure. And what Dolores Cannon offers in uh, this book, The Custodians, is a summary of her findings related to ET contact and abduction cases. And you know, she's been told throughout all of her cases about the nature of energy, about how energy never dies, about how it just changes form. We learn about frequency and vibration as it relates to energy and as that determines the shape that energy will take when it comes into the physical. We learn about the multi-dimensions of our universe and um, how we occupy those different dimensions by being a certain frequency or vibration. She you know, talks to us about the journey of a soul and we learn about how souls are incarnated in physical bodies and how we do that to learn and grow and bring information back to source, right? To help the universe become more informed and aware of itself. And so we're constantly growing and evolving as souls throughout these life experiences. And another foundational piece of information before we dive into the custodians is how Dolores Cannon stumbled upon her information and the role of the subconscious in regression. So Dolores talks a lot about how when her clients move into a deep state of trance or hypnosis and begin accessing those past life memories or reliving those memories and kind of seeing those memories as an observer, you know, oftentimes accessing uh, those memories helped resolve some unwanted pattern or illness or trauma in the person's life. And it's like imprints from these prior life experiences were carried over into the current life causing problems. And I can share from my 
training and study now as a master energy medicine practitioner, having trained with a lineage of ancient shamanism from Peru, that what Dolores received in her cases absolutely corresponds to ancient information about how energy works and about the journey of the soul and about how we can exist with imprints of other lives, other traumas, other um, less ideal patterns from previous existence that carries over into this life and how we are in this constant process of healing and transforming and breaking those old patterns. And so what she's found in her case studies absolutely is validated by other information, other uh, lineages, schools of thought, um, very ancient ancestral information and memories on our planet. And once she takes someone through this process of ac accessing a past life memory or maybe an event, a traumatic event uh, that the client needed to access, some other part of the client or other energy began speaking through the subject. And this part of the subject or client called itself the subconscious, or that's kind of what Dolores ended up calling it, I guess, which she later understood was really the client's higher self. That is their all-knowing self. That's the part of us that we can access that can give us more information and clarify questions about our past or about karmic issues. And by talking directly to the subconscious and not just having the client relive past life experiences, this allowed Dolores Cannon to access so much more additional information about the mechanics of existence, about metaphysics and how our universe works, and even about why certain situations had been happening. And then as time progressed, things got a little stranger. So not only did she access information from the client's higher self, and when this would happen, the client or subject would talk about themselves in the third person. So for instance, in my regression, during that part of the regression, when the therapist was talking to my subconscious or my higher self, I was answering in this way, Jenna needs to blah, blah, blah. So I was answering about myself in this life. So kind of a, a, a different scenario there, you know, for the, the therapist to be talking to this other part of ourselves through us, and that part of ourself is talking about us. <laughs> it's a, it gets a little confusing. But then, not only did that happen, but Dolores Cannon started hearing answers coming out of her clients from a we. And if you watched our episode with Sarah Breskman Cosme, it's uh, called Memories of Atlantis. You might remember that we talked about this very same phenomena that happened to her and her clients and that the we that has introduced themselves as higher intelligence might be ET beings who wish to be in contact with Earth. And in some cases, they have uh, announced their presence as that. So there have been a few different um, types of we <laughs> that have spoken through clients. <clears throat> some of that, some of the we being ET beings, some being collectives of higher intelligence, maybe angelic groups. There's a lot of different consciousness out there in the universe. So there's a lot of different groups that can be talking through someone. And 
And I think it's important to share with you as well that uh, in my first regression, I also had a we speak through me. And it was later clarified that the we were my star family, were ET beings that I've known in other lives who were supporting my life purpose on earth in this life to do this work with you now. And those ET beings had been making contact with me in various ways just to kind of nudge me, to get me to wake up a little more and a little more and a little more to get to the point where I could do a regression and this information could come out. So suffice to say that <laughs> when we start doing <clears throat> this consciousness ex exploration, <clears throat> things can get a little strange and interesting but also beautiful and we can access so much information about our soul and the journey of our soul and why it's important for us to be exploring this information. And I learned that those ET beings are souls that I have soul bonds with. You know, they are in a lot of ways part of my soul group. You know, they're part of my soul group and they're beings with whom I have had contact and lives in many different civilizations, in many different lifetimes throughout existence. So these are souls that I have a deep bond with, and that bond is facilitating the contact in this life. And we just happened to incarnate in different places in this life for the purpose of helping Earth open up to these ideas. So before we talk about the custodians in detail, I also want to highlight Keepers of the Garden. This is another book that Dolores Cannon wrote. It's one of my favorites. I highly recommend you read it. And she talks with a subject named Phil in this, uh, in this book, and it's primarily centered around Phil and his memories. And Phil, by the way, just completely was blown away by what came out of him and kind of didn't want to uh, acknowledge it after the fact, kind of just wanted to leave it there and not explore it further because it was a, just a, a bit much for him, it sounds like. So Phil started accessing memories of the seeding of Earth and he accessed information about how life began on earth. And apparently, and this is now being corroborated by a lot of other research, life on earth was seeded by advanced beings in our universe. And this is what I believe to be true now based on my research and my personal experiences. And I think this is important context, you know, because we also learn in Dolores' book, The Three Waves of Volunteers, about a type of organizational system that exists in our universe and how there has been an effort to get souls to volunteer to come to Earth to help shift the trajectory of our civilization. So go check out episode 24 if you want to learn more about the three waves of volunteers. I do a book review of that as well. So let's get into the custodians now. So I think it's important to start with screen memories. And Dolores Cannon talks about how Whitley Strieber was actually one of the first to use the term screen memories. And in one of the very first chapters in The Custodians, Cannon describes a case that includes one of these screen memories. She explains that the memory is really a protection mechanism from the subconscious mind, or in some cases it was placed there by the ETs to avoid trauma after a contact event. Because most humans are not yet able to have conscious awareness of these events in a way that would 
avoid trauma, right? We have been largely taught we are alone here and we largely have developed a worldview that does not allow our psyche to integrate that information in a healthy way yet. That's starting to change now through all of the information we are uncovering and able to connect the dots on. And so I think more and more people are becoming able to have conscious awareness of these events. I've had a couple of instances of more conscious awareness than I used to. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And Canon references that, you know, Phil's actual memory of an ET contact episode was covered by a memory of an owl swooping over his car. And under regression, they discover that this was not an owl at all, but indeed an actual ET contact event. So in The Custodians, Canon is referencing Keepers of the Garden again and talking about Phil and this screen memory that he had of an owl. So then Canon goes on to describe this regression with a woman named Brenda. And like Phil, Brenda had an incident when driving home from work in Fayetteville, Arkansas, when she saw a beautiful brown owl sitting in the middle of the road right? Like when do owls just sit in the middle of a highway? <laughs> That's not normal. And she thought it was peculiar, peculiar and she just went on. And this is also consistent in a lot of cases, right? Someone sees something like that. It's very odd, out of the norm, but they just move on. There's no questioning it in this kind of uh, state that they're in at the time. But then maybe later, there's this awareness that something about that was off. So she gets home and instead of it being 5.30, which it is supposed to be, the clock is reading 7 p.m. So here we have an example of not only a possible screen memory, but a missing time episode. And this had happened a few times for Brenda. So Brenda finally had connected the dots on needing to maybe explore this and contacted Dolores Cannon. And Brenda also reported to Cannon that she was having strange episodes with electronics. Uh, like hearing loud screeching that would come from high frequencies like security systems in stores, or maybe she would experience some strange malfunctions with electronics for days after these odd missing time episodes. And as a side note, I'll report one piece of personal information here about my experiences. At about a year after I had uncovered my first memories of ET contact, and during a time when the contact was increasing as a result of my awakening and transitioning into this work, I started hearing sounds I shouldn't hear. For instance, when walking in my neighborhood, there were a few houses that had electric fences for dogs and I could hear the electric fences. I could hear this high pitched sound coming from that yard. So I could hear it increasing as I approached the yard and I could hear it decreasing as I you know, got further and further away from the yard. And when I looked up the frequency of electronic fences, I learned that they're set at a frequency that only dogs should be able to register. And dogs can hear at a much higher frequency than the average human. So this is an interesting point about my personal journey that seems to be corroborated by this case in the custodians as well. 
So Brenda gets regressed back to this incident when she saw the owl in the road and turns out it was not an owl at all. And under regression, Brenda sees what she appears uh, or what appears to be a glowing angel. So someone with this beautiful white glow and aura with white clothes. And this person appeared to be very tall and beautiful with sharp, balanced features. And, and she's in a vehicle. She's, she's driving. And so this is the time, you know, when she saw the owl. So she's in the vehicle. But in the regression, the vehicle is parked. And she's noticing this person coming towards her. And she's noticing these rays coming out of his eyes. And, and he's walking towards the vehicle. And so she's, she's a little unsure about who this person is. And uh, she rolls down her window thinking that she would offer this person a ride or something. And then they begin to interact. So again, a lot about this, you know, is not a normal situation that you'd expect to happen, right? So, so this is a portion of what was happening when she was driving home that she didn't consciously remember. And so in the regressed state, she's remembering all of this. And, you know, she had some nervousness about this person, but she proceeded to offer him a ride. And then he says, bless you, child. I appreciate your offering, but my ride is right over there. And he points over a hill. And she then asks who he was picking, kind of starting to pick up on the fact that he didn't appear to be totally human, that something was a little different about him. And he said he was from a council of elders and that people from his council were evaluating earth and, you know, evaluating the level of progress that human civilization was making and that these councils were overseeing the preparation for open contact. And some of these council members were in favor of making contact and some weren't. You know, as you can imagine, the situation is delicate with a civilization like ours, with our level of societal and religious complexities. So this man says to Brenda that the council was in favor of him coming to earth to see for himself how humans were ready to interact with others from outer space or to see if they weren't. And they knew that they were at a critical point of determining whether to, and I quote here, leave earth in ignorance or contact humankind and bring them into the light, health, and knowledge. So he shares that life out in the cosmos is really diverse and varied and that there are so many races of beings looking forward to humans developing the ability to join them in the galactic community, developing reliable spacecraft, getting to a point where we can embrace that. And he said, you know, there's some beings, some races that are more belligerent than others and some that are more lighthearted than others. And it sounds like we have some things in common with our neighbors through this, this case. And I think this is a, a beautiful example here of just this, this open dialogue. And of course, she didn't remember it after the fact because she wasn't quite ready to remember that level of, you know, conscious contact. But but here in regression, she's able to remember this, this conversation that occurred. And he also specified that the council members were from all different planets and that they come together peacefully to support the evolution of the galaxy and various civilizations. And after describing their interaction, Canon asks a probing question about his features. So Canon 
was really good at drawing out additional levels of detail about the scenes that her clients were reliving. And a therapist has to be really good at their line of questioning to allow the flow of information from the subconscious of the client to happen in a way where the full detail of the scene comes to life. So while at first glance, Brenda described this very gorgeous angelic presence, when Cannon questioned further, they discovered that he had actually masked his identity slightly just to make his features a little more appealing and less startling to the human eye. So he actually had two thumbs, very large hands, and his eyes were totally white and quite large with no pupil or iris. So while this person was indeed a humanoid version of an ET, and from what we know, the vast majority of ET races are humanoid of some kind. So us, you know, our human form is kind of a model, you know, for various races in the universe. And, and so while he was a humanoid version, he had some very different features that to a human at first glance might seem kind of startling, but these are the sorts of differences we can expect to see when we make open contact. And so I think it's important that we're reflecting on that sort of diversity that can exist out there and preparing ourselves mentally and emotionally to see these differences in others. Are you curious about UFOs, ETs, and what we haven't been told about our reality? Well, we've got just the course for you. In our UFOs and Preparing for Contact course, we break down the research and evidence that is available to help us understand what's going on with the UFO phenomena. UFOs are absolutely real, and they're showing up for a reason. At Star Family Wisdom, we're experiencers of ET contact. That's right, we're in communication with ET beings that we know as our star family. We've had lives in advanced civilizations and we're here to be a bridge between the galactic community and you. That's why we created the UFOs in Preparing for Contact course, to help you prepare for contact. The window for open contact starts next year, so it's time to get ready. And at Star Family Wisdom, we believe our star brothers and sisters want to support us and help us evolve. So to help you with that evolution, you can use the code UFO at checkout to get 50% off your purchase of the UFOs in Preparing for Contact course. And their communication was also mostly mental. And while they were carrying on this conversation, it turns out it was not just a vocal conversation, that there was this ability to just mentally communicate on this other level. And as they continued the regression, Brenda was able to describe times when she had experience, when she had experienced ET contact by these beings. And the first time was at the age of nine, when she was able to remember being inoculated, as she describes it. So in the regression, the procedure she describes as a child being with the ETs is having a metal tube placed in her arm and the body receiving an inoculation of substances, which were meant to heighten extrasensory perceptions. Now, 
This is super interesting information because I'm going to share a little information about my second regression that happened this year with Barbara Lamb. And this piece of information in the custodians is helping me understand maybe a little more about what happened with my ET contact. So I just had this second regression of Barbara Lamb, and you can learn more about that in episode 43, Journey to Earth. And Barbara regressed me back to a time when I was a child, when I had been having recurring dreams. And recurring dreams can sometimes be an instance of a screen memory from what we've learned through a lot of these cases. And around the age of four and five, I had the same recurring dream of a red rose in space. This happened over and over and over. And it always started, I don't know exactly how many times, but just a lot that I can remember. And it always started and ended the exact same way with no variation. And I always woke up kind of scared. And I also never shared any details about this with, with my parents, which is strange. Like they have corroborated that I've never shared any details about this very profound recurring dream I was having that I've remembered to this day. And in my regression, Barbara takes me back to that dream, the time when I first had that dream. And we learned that the dream of the red rose was indeed a screen memory for ET contact when I was a child. And that that was the very first time I was contacted and taken to a ship. And in the regression, I saw myself laying on a table and I'm reliving this from the standpoint of a child, which was uh, emotional. You know, I was, I was, I was kind of experiencing the level of, of trauma, I guess you could call it, that I was experiencing in that moment as a child, but through the regression, able to see it differently and able to help my child level consciousness uh, accept and integrate that. So I saw myself in a ship on a metal table and there was one mantis being on my left and three gray beings on my right. And I had some sort of medical device being placed on my right arm. And as Barbara continued the questioning about what was going on, like what the specific scenario was, we retrieved more detail about the fact that there had been an agreement on a soul level for me to receive some small amount of genetic modifications in this life. So here we have an example um, that is really similar to this other case in the custodians. And uh, in the custodians, we hear that this inoculation of substances is meant to, meant to heighten extrasensory perceptions and abilities. And that's exactly what has been occurring as my life has gone on. My extrasensory abilities have been heightening and growing. And apparently there is uh, a desire for our ET friends and family to have us experience that heightened level of awareness and perception, because that also helps facilitate some of the telepathic contact that can occur and receiving of various, you know, information, downloads, wisdom. So, so we retrieved that piece of information and then, you know, Barbara regressed me forward to when the recurring dream would be ending, typically when I would be waking up startled and scared. And that was the moment I was being placed back in my bed. So another, you know, very validating um, connection here between this other case that, you know, we're learning about in the custodians and some of the types of physical 
uh, contact that have occurred and what some of the intentions of the ETs are. So Dolores continues to describe a wide variety of cases that also include some childhood ET contact. And um, one of these is when a group of children are playing outside a, a little too late at night. And these are, most of these cases are back in the 80s, just for context. <clears throat> and in this case, one of the children starts to see this bright light in a clearing up ahead, almost like a headlight from a car. And they're in this wooded area and the kids are kind of being drawn towards it. And this woman's describing, you know, seeing this brilliant white blue light. And that at one point she's literally being drawn up towards it. And Cannon asks if she can run away. And the subject says she doesn't think she can, that she has to go with it. There's no choice. So she then describes being floated up towards the light and then being put to sleep as she reaches the light. And next in the regression, she's able to see herself in a ship with people that she describes as little people with bug-like faces. And she describes lots of lights and tables, kind of like a doctor's office. And <clears throat> she discusses examinations that were taking place by these beings. And consistent with most cases, while genetic retrieval appears to be happening, even though this child was scared and unnerved from the standpoint of a child, she didn't describe any harm or pain involved. And I also can share that in my experience of that childhood state in that contact with the ETs, I didn't have any pain. There was no pain. I was scared, but there was no pain. And there, are there appeared to be this attempt by the mantis being to actually calm me. And so, so we, we start to get this, this, this picture of most of the ET contact being highly benevolent while startling to us and something we didn't expect to happen in this life. Most of it is highly benevolent. And in one case, Canon con conducts the regression a little differently than she normally does. And you know, while she might normally regress someone to a time when a traumatic or strange incident has occurred or to a time in a past life, in this case, she regresses a man to the in-between lives state, to the spiritual realm where more knowledge and information can be accessed. And similar to many other past life regression cases and by other therapists as well, she accesses a place called the library. And this is a place where a soul can essentially access all of the Akashic records. So all of the records of all of the information of all of the things that have ever taken place in the universe lives here. And this is a place we can access. And by visiting this library, when we are you know, journeying, at a soul level to the spiritual realm, we can access information related to anything and anywhere, everything we can imagine. And we also can't just access anything we want to. While technically anything and everything is available, we have to work with the guardians of this information to retrieve some of it because some of it's sensitive knowledge and it's not meant for us to retrieve all of the information that we could possibly retrieve. So it has to be relevant to our lives. It has to be relevant to how we are transforming and healing and growing and all of those things. So she takes a subject back to the library and in the library, they connect with the guardian 
and they ask about information related to UFOs and extra extraterrestrial craft on Earth and how this phenomena is evolving on Earth and what else, you know, could be shared. So the subject describes being shown pictures of beautiful planets and other worlds where these spacecraft are from and that beings from all of these planets are familiar with the current stage of evolution on Earth and they're watching with so much loving anticipation as humanity prepares to enter the, quote, spiritual universe. And I think what is meant by this is to <clears throat> enter a community of civilizations that is awake to the fundamental nature of our reality and who understand the spiritual mechanics of our universe. So I think this is what's meant by spiritual universe, that largely humans and human civilization have lived outside of the spiritual universe, right? We have developed all of these ideas of being alone and being separate and um, these ideas uh, that are very materialistic in nature. And we have largely denied the spiritual foundation and fundamental nature of our reality. And so as a civilization like ours, evolves and expands their consciousness, we come to this understanding that there are these spiritual truths and this spiritual kind of mechanics that are operating our universe. And once we come to that level of understanding and awareness, we can consciously step into the galactic community and have a very different experience of our reality. So we're in that really hard phase of growing pains right now, as we undo a lot of the misinterpretation, uh, forgetfulness that has happened on earth through our dark ages. And as we're starting to connect new dots, and as we're starting to see across all of our spiritual traditions and religions on earth, what the common threads of truth are. And as we're starting to uncover more and more knowledge and, and factual evidence about our history that is rewriting our human history, all of this is leading us to the point where we are prepared to enter that spiritual universe, enter the galactic community, and to understand the truth of our origins. So, so back to the library, this subject who has access to the library and who is talking with the guardians of the library is also getting information about the vibration of our planet evolving and us entering a vibratory frequency state that might be conducive for contact. And he talks about information he was given related to new discoveries in our solar system. And this will be interesting to see if this, this comes true. He said there will be 16 different planets, new ones found within our system around the year 2040. Uh, so we've got, what, 18 years to go there. And then another around the year 3000. And he also talks about how Mars had a humanoid form of life at one point. And he also talks about how there are many civilizations watching Earth and maybe helping in ways um, that they can without too much interference, without, um, you know, creating a situation where we're not doing our own evolution, right? We have to evolve on our own, but there are a lot of races that want to help the evolutionary rate of some planets without too much interference. And he says that those beings come mostly from Sirius, Betelgeuse, and the Aldebaran star systems. 
So another personal side note here, as I prepared for this episode and picking out some of my favorite parts of the custodians, I discovered another incredible synchronicity related to my second regression with Barbara Lamb. So in 2019, when I was first exploring my interest in cosmic things and starting to have more conscious ET contact occurring, I received a galactic astrology reading. And in that reading, I learned that it was possible that my soul had spent the most amount of time in the Aldebaran and Regal star systems. And I thought this was interesting. And there was a lot of other information in the reading that was starting to connect some dots for me. But I just put that information about those stars to the side, you know, for now, because I didn't really have any other piece of validation about that. And then in my second regression, I saw scenes of me coming to Earth with another being from my home civilization discussing my mission to come to earth. So in this scene, I was on a starship. I was with this other being and I was in a different civilization. And I was discussing leaving that civilization to come to earth. And this being I was with was a mantis being. And it was the exact same being who was present in my childhood ET contact events. And you'll remember that I said in my regression, I was, I went, through with the regression because I had had this recurring dream of a red rose, which turned out to be a screen memory for that contact that was occurring. Well, the day after my regression, I started seeing red roses everywhere, right? So I just had this flood of red roses in my life. And while watching an interview with Robert Edward Grant, I learned that the Aldebaran star system, which is a red giant star, is also known as a rose star. So a red rose star. And in that moment, it felt like all of these pieces of the puzzle came crashing together. And it became clear to me that the screen memory was a clue about the location of my star family's civilization. And as a side note, the mantis beings are the ETs that I've been mostly in contact with in this life. And, and my soul apparently came from that civilization to support this current time of evolution on earth. So here we had this just really cool synchronicity around the Aldebaran star and this understanding of beings being in contact with Earth from that star. And I think it's also interesting to note in the library case where Canon, you know, is regressing her subject to that library in the spiritual realm, they're also able to access information about ET bases on Earth. And most of them appear to be underwater. And the subject, the client, was told by the guardian in the library that mostly these are ET humanoid beings who have been coming to Earth for hundreds of thousands of years. And they have methods to come to Earth and do what they need to do without us knowing. And these beings are what we have heard referred to as the watchers in biblical text. So the watchers, we have not fully understood uh, the story of. And Canon describes this contact being really instrumental during the historical you know, times of Atlantis and that there have been long periods of open contact in our ancient history. And this continues to be validated in uh, other methods like in some of Sarah Breskman Cosme's work and uh, many other you know, channeled forms and in some of the new revelations we are receiving about our historical texts. 
and as we are integrating new information from historical texts that have just been uncovered in the last couple of decades. So this case ends with discussion about the various types of races and um, this, you know, largely peaceful interaction that happened for a long time on Earth in our ancient history and that there was this one race, the reptilian race, that viewed humans as a lesser form and didn't always engage in the most peaceful ways. Um, I think we see this in some of the Sumerian history and some of what is being pulled out there now. And it's assumed that this is where some of our biblical stories of aggression and violent behavior towards humans comes from, because in our, our origin stories in the Bible and some other uh, spiritual texts on earth, we hear stories about this, that there are gods, plural, <laughs> not just one, gods, plural, who um, powerful ones, as Paul Wallace likes to translate the word Elohim to, that these Elohim in a lot of cases were aggressive towards humans and that we see this in some of our early biblical passages. So you might remember in Genesis 6, 2, it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives. And in Genesis 6, 4, it says there were giants in the earth on those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them. So you know, here we have, I think, historical evidence of a less ideal form of ET human interaction. And in our episode with Michael Carter, actually, Reverend Michael J.S. Carter, episode uh, four, I believe, <clears throat> check that out. You know, Michael thinks that our ancestors were really just doing the best they could to describe some of these historical ET human contact scenarios and and some of our earliest history on Earth, which has largely been misinterpreted over time. So while we have lots of cases and memories being uncovered of the possibility of ETs seeding the human race in the very beginning, we also have these periods, these varied periods of contact, both positive and less ideal in our human history, which have largely turned into our mythology and folklore, right? Our mythology of gods and goddesses, our mythology of giants. And I think we are uncovering enough evidence now to understand that we have a much different version of our human story to embrace now. And that story, I think, includes many of the ET races or star races essentially being our custodians, <laughs> as Dolores might put it. So Cannon continues the book by describing a number of other cases, including um, some of the secretive tests in Nevada, what was going on at Area 51, and some of the ET contact that may have occurred um, with our governments in this world. And Cannon does a remarkable job of highlighting detailed memories of subjects who had no other previous experience with these things or who had maybe years of ET experiences that finally got uncovered, you know, via regression. And the, again, the level of detail that she was able to pull out of these subjects who normally would never be able to speak of those sorts of things highlights the fact that this information really is coming from a different place and uh, and that we can unlock 
so much more within our subconscious and our psyche uh, than we've realized we have access to. She also highlights a beautiful case of a woman visiting a ship and experiencing highly sophisticated technology in this future scenario planning of galaxies and worlds that happens only with souls who have reached a highest level of spiritual development. So it becomes clear through many of these contact cases that the ETs themselves are highly developed spiritually, many of them, and incorporate sacred ways of operating into their lives, into their missions, and into their interactions with civilizations. And as we continue to uncover information about the UFO and ET contact phenomena, we learn that the ETs not only seeded life on Earth, but they've been highly invested in our spiritual development and evolution. And they are indeed our guardians and custodians. And they're making their presence known to usher us into a period of remembering our place among the stars. And because of the level of distortion and violence and danger we have caused ourselves during our dark ages, first contact is happening in a slightly different way than it has for other civilizations. And we're being eased into the remembering of our history and are being given an opportunity to become more curious and more open-minded and less violent before we are able to meet them in person. So if you would like to learn more about regressions and the information that we can uncover from this fascinating therapy, check out our episode, Memories of Atlantis with Sarah Breskman Cosme, who is a master QHHT therapist, and my recent episode, Journey to Earth, Jenna's Regression with Barbara Lamb. In both of those, you'll, you'll learn more about what happens with regression and the type of transformation that we can uh, achieve personally and how we can learn about the journey of our souls, the karmic plan for our life and how we can prepare for open contact. And it takes a lot of discernment and openness and fearless conviction to be a consciousness explorer and to break through the barriers of our normal states of awareness. But when we do, we can uncover incredible lost knowledge from the stars. So to all of my fellow consciousness explorers out there, thank you for being here today and fearlessly exploring our cosmic heritage it's my belief that the truth is out there or right here since <laughs> we're telling the truth on all of our episodes. So keep tuning in and we'll uncover more of it together. So thanks for listening and I'll see you next time in our next episode. Bye for now.